why you are who you are and the lessons that you've learned. And particularly as a business owner, because you got into business for a reason. What was that reason? Because that's Mm. where your customers are going to identify with you and resonate with you. If you can tell that story in a powerful way, you'd be amazed at how quickly you draw customers to you. Hello and welcome aboard. Get ready for a new episode here at the Virtual Frontier. Great you have found a way back to the show. And if you just joined recently, hit the subscribe button right away so you'll never miss new episodes. Today, I welcome Sean Tyler Foley. We are going to discover what makes a great speaker and why actually everyone is a public speaker. I'm happy that I found Tyler for this topic because he has been acting in film and television since he was six years. He's a versatile personality and has worked in a wild field of industries. Some of them in the oil and gas industry or in aviation, where he's the owner of a consulting firm that specializes in safety management, also in film and television, and as a speaker, author, and coach. One thing all these roles had in common was promoting and encouraging others to be heard and understood. Those terms are becoming increasingly important in a world of work that is so interconnected and where, on the other side, people's attention span is constantly decreasing. Fasten your seatbelt and find out how you can become an engaging speaker with a great story that people will love. See you in a moment on the other side. So, hello Tyler. Thanks for joining me here on the virtual frontier. I'm really happy we got together finally. Um, yeah, today we are going to speak uh, about your uh, book, about what you're doing in your work. And uh, before we start off, um, maybe you would like to give a short introduction to our audience. Who is Tyler? Which background you're coming from and uh, what, 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 what you're doing? Sure, actually. I can absolutely do that, Daniel. And thanks for having me on. I, I'm really happy to be on Virtual Frontier. So uh, quick introduction to me. I am a, a father, a husband a son, performer, author, uh, seeker of warm beaches, lover of good chocolates. Um, I am all of those things. And uh, I've been in the performing arts since I was six years old. So uh, coming up on my fourth decade in the in the industry, I've been acting on film and television since my late teens on stage since I was six, as I mentioned, Um, been public speaking essentially all my life but made it a, a profession and a career where that was my main focus and main income for the last decade. And I've been teaching people how to public speak uh, for the last five years or so. So that's, that's who I am, author of The Power to Speak Naked, number one best-selling book. Uh, and uh, yeah, a happy guest on the virtual frontier. Happy to have you. Just uh, mention it again. So... Um... Maybe before uh, we get uh, to talk about your book and, and, and your learnings and, and what, what you have learned in, in your whole career that I just mentioned over the last four decades, um, a lot of things have changed over uh, the last uh, uh, yeah, two years, let's say, um, in the way we work, in the way we interact and communicate. And I, I'm, I'm sure that your whole um, speaking engagement and training also were affected by all the circumstances that have changed. So I ask always my guests, so what, what, what you have learned during this past two years in, in your own work and uh, probably how, how you adapted to this new situation and, and how, how you, how, how you yeah, battled with that? Uh, well, so the interesting thing is because I've been in film and television for as long as I have been, um, I actually mm. had a studio set up for being able to self-tape my own auditions. And that was kind of one of the first things to uh, change during the last two years was my auditions, uh, where it was very rare to self-tape. Occasionally, my agent would uh, be offered a project where they'd want to see me, and it would be filming in LA, and uh, I'm based in Canada, so they're not going to fly me down for an audition and they would ask to self tape. So I, I didn't like going to other people's studios and paying money when I have the gear and technology here. So I would, I would just do that. What was interesting is 
I then uh, about three years ago recognized that I could actually use this setup so that I didn't have to keep traveling to train. Right? There's a, a, a fairly large expense that goes into renting an auditorium, you know, selling tickets, mm. et cetera. And, and just the general logistics of having people meet in one place. And so I'd actually been using Zoom long before Zoom took off when people would, would have to scratch their head and say, well, what's Zoom? I'd be like, well, you know, you, you know, Zoom, Skype. Yeah. And everyone would be like, yes, yeah, Skype. And I yeah, think yeah. that's uh, one of the most fascinating things to me is how the lexicon has changed, how we describe yeah. a virtual web meeting. Because three yeah. years ago, people would say, do you want to Skype? And that meant a web call. Now people say, do you want to Zoom? And that means a web conference. And nobody says Skype anymore. And even if people are using Teams or some of those other devices or platforms that are available, um, the, the shorthand, same for if you want to run an internet search, you Google something, which, by the way, Google absolutely hates. It's an internet search. Um, the, the lexicon is now, are you going to Zoom? So for me, I was already using Zoom. The difference was I had to, uh, I was cheap. And so I made sure that all my training uh, sessions were under 40 minutes so that I could have as many people as I wanted without having to pay for the upgraded version. But now that I've had to do yeah, yeah, longer yeah. sessions, I, I've, I've got the pro account for Zoom. And that's really been about the biggest adaptation that I've needed to do other than getting better mics. So I was very content with um, having just a, a regular uh, lavalier, um, a lapel style microphone for my self tapes and it was it was fine for me when i was doing my training sessions but the more and more that i've had to do um podcasts or where audio has become more critical i've had to upgrade the the mic system around here but other than that my setup actually didn't change that much so i was quite ready to do what everybody else ha was forced to in the pivot to virtual. And the only difference was I was doing more virtual because I was doing zero in-person training. And in fact, I haven't been to a live conference now in almost two years, and it will be over two years before I'm back at my first one because I don't get back on the road speaking in public uh, at somebody else's venue until May of 2022. Yeah. I have just a couple of things you just mentioned. I, I experienced the same things, you know, like back in 2019, you had to explain, hey, we're going to meet on Zoom. Now everyone knows who, what is Zoom. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think that stood out to me and that is really important, I guess, in, in every constellation that when you participate in meetings, if you speak at meetings or conferences, whatever, just get the right setup, you know, like uh, the time is over that you have like your $5 headset or whatever in place, just get a good camera and a good microphone so people actually can enjoy talking to you and speaking to you uh, similar and as uh, would be in, in, in real life. And what right? I found interesting is I, I don't mind if a participant, right, somebody who's coming on for the educational purpose of it, they're not going to be the focus of the, the discussion. You know, they want to turn their camera off or they just, they're using their laptop camera and it's the up the nose shot with poor lighting and a little bit blurry. That's okay. That's okay. But what frustrates me from a professional standpoint is two years in to people really being forced to present virtually the number of professionals who still have not taken the time to invest in themselves, because as you and I both know, it doesn't cost very much. I was doing my studio on a actor's budget, right? I wasn't investing a lot into projects because you're, you know, you audition probably 20 times before you get a role. And my entire setup, including the floodlights, the ring light, uh, nice HD web camera, high grade microphone, and a professional backdrop 
so that I'm not having to do the virtual buzz. This is a, I can touch my backdrop. Um, yeah. The whole thing was under $500 Canadian, which is under $400 US, which makes it incredibly affordable. There's no excuse in this day and age. If you're a professional, which means you're getting paid to run that Zoom in some way, um, taking the time to upgrade it is, in my opinion at this point, a requirement. It's not a nice to have. Exactly. I completely agree with you. Tyler, let's um, dive into your uh, activity as an author. I was the, was the first thing that I stood out to me when, when I found you is your book, uh, the, the Power to yeah. Speak Naked. Like, okay, I, I need to dive into that uh, guy and say, say, find out what he's talking about. Um, how did you end up writing this book? You, you just mentioned before in the in intro that you were up on the stage um, with age six. So what, what, what is the story behind the book and how, how, well, how you got there? The book there? was a, a result of a lot of people asking me how I was able to be on stage as comfortable as I am. And uh, really the reality is, is I, because I was introduced to both the stage and an audience and public speaking at such a young age, I didn't realize that it was a thing you were supposed to be afraid of. I mean, anybody who has young children knows that they have no fear. You know, I'm, I'm blessed right now. My, I have a six-year-old daughter and watching her grow up, particularly in the last couple of years, you know, fear is a learned behavior. We are, when we're born, the world is new and wonderful and we don't recognize dangers. And there are some fears that are real, that we need to be scared of. And there are things that are imagined or projected upon us. And public speaking is one of those things. In fact, most people aren't actually afraid of public speaking. Stage fright is a real thing. Um, but public speaking, a fear of public speaking is not. Uh, there, if you ask, you know, they, they, they always do those studies. And I think 77% of, uh, respondents will claim to have some form of anxiety around public speaking. The reality is if that was true, our entire society would collapse because there is absolutely no way that you could conduct any form of commerce. If you were afraid to speak in public, you wouldn't be able to go to a bank. You wouldn't be able to go to a restaurant. Anybody who's ever had or eaten food at a restaurant does not have a fear of public speaking because you were able to speak to the wait staff and order food. And if you didn't know your wait staff, you spoke to a complete stranger. So the reality is we're not afraid to speak in public. What we are afraid of is public judgment. And that is the root cause mm -hmm. of the majority of people's stage fright is they're afraid that when they speak in public, and everybody's eyes and focus and attention is on them, and they are the sole focus for that presentation, that the things they say will be uh, misunderstood, misunderstood or misconstrued or in some way uh, received negatively. And that, that is what the cause of the majority of people's anxiety is. And so I had to really do a deep dive myself and reverse engineer how it was that I was so comfortable on stage. And in that discovery process, I realized that it was because I was introduced to public speaking and to stage and to audiences at a time where it was rewarding for me. And I didn't know mm -hmm. to be scared of it. And subsequently, I became addicted positively to applause and crowds. Uh, nothing, nothing in this world beats the exhilaration of receiving a standing ovation from an audience. It's, it's one of the most uh, rewarding and energizing things that any human can experience. And in fact, it's one of the things that I try to get people to experience at every one of my seminars. I'll bring, we bring everybody up on stage and you kind of cycle through and we have the audience just stand up and it's like a half an hour of straight cheering while people come on the stage and receive the, the, the love that you receive from a standing ovation. It's a really powerful exercise that we get to do. And I love doing it for that reason. And so the book came about to give people the opportunity to understand where their fears, first of all, are coming from. And 
because it, it, you can't address something if you're misdiagnosed, right? The saying that you're afraid of public speaking is the same as diagnosing heartburn as a heart attack. You're running around looking for defibrillators thinking you're going to die. And the reality is you just need to drink some Pepto-Bismol. And that's mm -hmm. the problem with saying, I'm afraid of public speaking. So now all of a sudden you're going to completely and totally shut down. Well, you're not. You're afraid of public judgment. So let's get over why. And that's where the 10 chapters in the book uh, do a deep dive into is how do you overcome that fear? And what a lot of the book is designed to do is to teach people that the way to find confidence is through competence. And the only way to become competent in a thing is through repetition. And so showing people all of the opportunities that they have to public speak. So it doesn't have to be on a stage. It doesn't even have to be in a boardroom, although those are going to be typically where people have the most opportunity to public speak. But there are there are literally thousands of opportunities every day for people to get up and have public interactions and speak and use their voice and, and say it to more than two people, which at that point is a crowd. And uh, and that's really where the book came came about. Why the title? No, oh, oh, the title, The Power <laughs> to Speak Naked. Well, first of all, it catches your eye and it catches your attention, which was it yeah, that was <laughs> that was the first goal. I wanted something that was catchy because, again, I'm a public speaker. And that's one of the things that we talk about is how do you have a good hook in your story? How do you grab somebody's attention? How do you keep your audience engaged? And so I needed a title that was engaging. And so the power to speak naked. First of all, anytime you have power and naked, uh, those are two very strong words. And so that's going to be an attention grabber. But there is a lot of meaning behind it. First of all, the worst advice I think anybody can ever get when they want to public speak or if they want to start to overcome some of the anxiety around presentations is to picture your audience naked. That is horrible advice. Absolutely horrible. I want to dispel that myth right now. Do not picture your audience naked or in their underwear or whatever. It's, it doesn't serve anybody. It is counterintuitive and you just don't want to do it. So it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek jest at what is really bad advice. The next part of it is I believe that a good presentation doesn't need the fluff or the extraneous. You know, you and I are having an excellent conversation. Hopefully your audience is still engaged. I haven't bored them yet, Daniel. And they're tuning into the virtual frontier to listen to what we have to say. If they are watching, if they're not watching us and if they're listening uh, as just a straight audio podcast, there is no graphic or visual display. It's just the power mm. of our voice. And that is how human beings have been communicating for eons, not just decades or millennia, but eons. We have been communicating orally. Before we had written language, we had oral languages. and. It's the power of voice that has sustained us as society. So you don't need a PowerPoint. You don't need props. You don't even need a stage. You can have a presentation with just your voice. So being able to give a naked presentation is uh, the next part of that title. Further to that, in order to give a really good and powerful presentation, you need to be completely and totally comfortable within your own skin. You need to be able to speak the raw, naked truth and, and really be vulnerable and expose yourself. And so a part of the, the title is to point out that if you really want to be a very powerful presenter, you need to have the confidence to be able to go on stage and speak in the emperor's new clothes and have it not even phase you. And if you can get to that level of mastery, you can own the world. And that really is the power to speak naked, where you don't, you don't need anything but you. And, and you have confidence in your messaging. So uh, there's multiple levels, but obviously on the forefront, it's to have a really cool cover and, and a title that pops that make people mm. go, ooh, I should buy that book. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mm. You always scratched a little bit on that, uh, um, what it takes uh, to become uh, a great speaker. Uh, maybe we can dive into that uh, deeper and get to the core. What, what are like two or three key elements that, that you haven't managed, men mentioned already um, that makes or brings you to the stage to be a, gr a great speaker or become a good well, speaker? Well, I think the first one, obviously, is that uh, confidence in yourself. And as I'd mentioned, you know, You, we gain confidence through competence and competence only comes through uh, practice and rehearsal and trial and error and repetition. But before you can even step on and fart, you know, first start to do that, that initial presentation, you need to have confidence in your own messaging. And so one of the things that I often talk about is how there is a real need For you to have complete self-awareness. And to me, anytime I hear about an authentic speaker, um, to me, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. You can't be a authentic if you don't know who you are at your core. And so really, mm. it, it's that deep dive into knowing who you are and not trying to sugarcoat it and being very true to your being and that can be very scary because again that requires some vulnerability that and that requires you to turn a lens inward uh, one of the best advices that i ever received as a speaker was to speak from scars not from wounds and what was meant by that was a scar is healed it's a it's a it's a representation and a reminder of what you went through but it is healed an open wound is still festering and and the lesson hasn't been learned yet and so you if you are still struggling with a thing that's probably not the topic to speak about yet in the future it could be and it could be very powerful but you want to speak on what you truly know what you have learned what your experience was and be unabashedly and unashamedly transparent with it. Um, you need to be free yourself from the burden of having to, to hide some of your flaws and speak of them. As long as they are, are wounds that have healed and have scarred over, that is pro that's really what we want to hear about, right? Nobody wants to hear about the guy who has a million dollars. What we want to hear about is the person who is bankrupt who bootstrap their way to success, right? It's the, uh, right, life is a journey, not the destination. I don't need to hear, I, teach me the lesson of how you got there, but tell me how you got there. Take me on the journey. So my next bit of advice for anybody who wants to become a powerful speaker is to discover their own powerful stories. And we all have them. I know that there are people out there who are like, well, my life isn't exciting. You know, I, I'm, I don't do anything interesting. I'm a, I don't know, bank clerk or accountant or I don't know, one of, the, one of the professions that doesn't seem glamorous. And yet there's probably very good stories in there. One of the best storytellers and greatest stories I've ever heard actually came from a financial advisor who got into being a financial advisor because she had racked up so much consumer debt that one day she was she opened up her credit card bill and didn't know where she was going to find the money to pay them even the minimum payment on it there was no way she was going to pay off the full balance and she she didn't even know how she was going to get the minimum payment and she was scrambling in her head she was thinking where where do we have money just even stashed around the house like where do i even have even loose change and as soon as she thought loose change she thought well my daughter has money in her piggy bank and so while her daughter was sleeping she went into her room because she was trying to pay off this credit card because her husband didn't even know like it was a it was her own credit card her husband didn't even know that she had the credit card she she needed to find this money and she goes into the room and she picks up the piggy bank and as she picked it up the the coinage uh clinked inside the piggy bank and that sound mm -hmm. triggered her she like she was like what am i doing I'm about to steal money 
from my own child to pay off a credit card that is overracked because I have a hundred pairs of shoes in my closet. And she put the piggy bank back down and, uh, and decided at that point that she was going to tackle her consumer debt. And one of the great stories of that is it, within five years of doing that, not only had she paid off all of her consumer debt, but she had paid down uh, her, the entire mortgage on her home, which was supposed to be a 35-year mortgage, and she paid it off in under five because she became very dedicated oh. to financing and understanding money and what money actually did and how money actually worked so that she could tell it what to do and it wasn't telling her what to do. And it's a phenomenal story. And we all have those stories. And I promise you, it, uh, I have a simple exercise that I do in all of my workshops and we can go over the first part of it right now. It takes less than two minutes. All I want your audience to do is to take their age, however old they are, and divide it by five. And use real simple third grade math too. Remember in third grade when we would uh, round to the whole and then you'd have like a remainder? Mm -hmm. So in this case, all you need to do is count in sequences of five. So in my case, I'm 42. So I'm just going to round to 40 and divide by five. So 40 divided by five is eight. And if you want, you can take the remainder and you can tack it on to your first time period. So for me, I would go eight plus two is, is 10. And that'll be my first time period. But you don't have to do that. And again, simple math, just round to the nearest five and then divide by five. And what that'll do is divide your life into five relatively even time periods. Now, I want you to look at each one of those time periods and say, what is my most prevalent memory? What is, if I think of this time period, for me, zero to 10, what is the most significant memory that I have? For me, I have two that pop to mind instantaneously. They're both auditory, so they're sounds. The first one is the sound of an audience clapping, being able to hear applause. That, to me, is, you know, monumental and instrumental in the development of my life. Getting a standing ovation. And then more specifically, it's the sound of laughter and claps at the same time. Making a, an audience laugh and then, and then hearing clapping afterwards. It, 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 it's a sound that, that sticks in me. And the first time I heard it was six years old, uh, performing at a Christmas pageant for my elementary school. And then the next mem memory that is really significant for me is literally two months after that first memory. And it's the sound my mother made when... Um, my family physician and a police officer came to our back door and told her that my father would never be returning home because he passed away in a motor vehicle accident. My mother made the most guttural, animalistic, spine-tingling, and just earth-shattering scream. I've never heard a sound like it ever in my entire life, and I never want to hear it again. And those two sounds have been so impactful for me that they're, the, they, they're memories that I can think back to instantaneously to this day. And we all have them. And so for your audience, all they have to do is divide their age by five. And for each one of those time periods, just ask, if I think of this time period, what is my most significant memory and then the deep work happens because that was easy to do that's two minutes like i said you do some simple math and i just want the first thing that flashes to your head you think of that time period what's the first thing that flashes to your head and that's going to be your significant memory now the work that we can't do over the podcast really begins and that is doing the deep dive into why is that a significant memory to you why does that come to you when you think of this time period why is that the first thing that your mind flashes to and really be honest. Again, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. Really be honest with yourself. Why is that impactful to you? And then what were the lessons that you learned from it? Because those will be the lessons that you can teach your audience. You can use those stories 
as building blocks and foundations to lessons that you learned and now that you can then teach your audience. And as Les Brown famously Mm. said, you never make a point without a story and you never tell a story without a point. So making sure that you connect the story that you're telling with the point that you're trying to convey, the lesson that you're trying to teach and bring everything together, that's when you have the most impactful presentations. Hmm. That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I, I remember in the preparation, I'm not sure where, where I found it, but I, will, I think this is a good fit right now. Um, you mentioned, I guess, the sentence that the, the thing that you're most scared about to speak is probably the thing that, that your audience needs to hear. Maybe you can elaborate on this uh, fantastic. Well, absolutely. And, and I, I believe it in my core to be true that the thing you're afraid to say is the thing that your audience really needs to hear. And what that means is we so often try to put out this image of perfection. And mm-hmm. really powerful presentations don't come from perfection. They come from revealing the flaws in our own conceptions of the world and how we came to see them differently and allowing other people to see where they may have flaws in their preconceived notion of how the world works and enlightening people on our own biases. And I, I was recently on a podcast with an incredible woman, Anne, uh, who is visually impaired. And she was trying to book me as a guest. And I, you know, I do a lot of podcasts. I was on over 170 podcasts last year. And, I, and then I speak regularly as well. So I have a, a system for booking me in place, right? I have a calendar. I have a VA who handles a lot of my bookings. And so she had reached out to me on a platform that you and I both use, Podmatch. And said, I'd like to have you on as a guest. And I said, great, here's the link and here's all my information. And she came back and she says, I'm sorry, I can't do that because I'm visually impaired. And as soon as she Hmm. said that, I I was instantly, first of all, racked with guilt. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so prima donna and I'm so um, used to my own system (laughs) that that I didn't even think that it may be inconvenient for somebody else. Yes, this is a convenient way for me to book. And for some people, it's convenient because you can just look at my calendar and find a time that works for you and and book in. But if you don't have the power of sight, that you can't use this system. And of course, she has her own system set up. And yes, I needed to follow that. But it wasn't until she said, I'm visually impaired. And then I went back and I I started looking at, at some of her material. And she doesn't mention it anywhere. And I, th- and I started to think to myself, well, why? You know, because if you go to her website, it's very clear that she's an advocate for um, accessibility for the visually impaired. But it wasn't until I realized that she herself had uh, sight issues that it was um, that that was the reason and the rationale for it. And it's things like that that are important. We spend so much time trying to accommodate and adapt and, and, and fit this image that we forget to say, you know, what the real root cause and the real root issue is. And so when I say the thing you're afraid to say is likely what your audience needs to hear, usually it's that thing that we're coveting, that thing that we're guarding, that we're like, oh, if people knew this about me, they would, they would think completely and totally differently of me. They would judge me. They, I, I, would, they would, I would lose all of my friends, right? And the reality is it's when you have the true courage and strength to stand up and say, this is who I am it, without any masking or without any, you know, dressing up that people really identify with you at that point. It's one of the reasons why in 12-step programs, the first thing you have to do is say that you have a problem. Because Hmm. there is power in acknowledging that. And one of the great things about most of those 12-step programs is what is the, 
what is the response back if i if i struggled with uh, with addiction and and had uh, an issue say with alcoholism and i was to say my name is tyler foley and i am an alcoholic if i was at an aa meeting the the response back to that is hi tyler right they, they don't judge they were with cuz everybody in that room is struggling with alcoholism in some way and one of the the really interesting things is there it, you know al anon alcoholics anonymous also has support groups for families so you go you may not yourself struggle with addiction but you may uh suffer because of someone else's addiction and it's it's incredibly powerful to go and see that a you're not alone in in how alcoholism affects your life or any substance abuse for that matter or any kind of addiction um that these mental health issues have impact on not just the person with the issue itself but the ripple effect to the society as a whole and the reality is we don't you know there are those who may have judgment on that and may look down on that and look poorly on that but that is not who your target audience is that is not who your community is your community is the people who are going to identify with what you're saying so for me to come and say you know i've been performing all my life that's great but for me to say i remember at 14 the first time i experienced stage fright that's more powerful than being like well i know how to speak on stage because i've been doing it since i was six you need to hear that I had that I struggled with stage fright myself because that's the only way that I can identify where it came from. And, and that's how I came to be able to, again, teach from the scar and not the wound. I don't regularly experience stage fright because at six years old, I was introduced to the stage as a wonderful place as opposed to a place to fear. But at 14, I distinctly remember feeling judged by an audience and not just an audience a single member of the audience and that person probably wasn't judging me it was all my internal self-doubt that allowed me to perceive mm -hmm. this person as judging me which was really the worst part is it was all self-inflicted which for the majority of people that's where your stage fright and this fear of public speaking comes from it's all internally uh conflicted so i myself need to be able to acknowledge that i need to say that hey yes i've been uh you know professional performer for 36 years but i too experience stage fright i know what it's like to have that feeling of judgment and you, and that's why you the thing that you're afraid to say is probably the thing that your audience needs to hear and you'd be surprised what that thing you're afraid to say is i for this is a, another fun exercise that your audience can do right now What's the one thing right now, if you're listening to this, if you're tuned in to Virtual Frontier and, you, and you're listening to me and Daniel have this chat right now, more specifically me have this monologue while Daniel listens patiently. If you, if somebody were to <laughs> come to your door right now and say, we know, we know, we know what you did. What is that thing that you're afraid that they know about? And write it down. And now what's the thing that you didn't write down because you're really afraid that that's the thing that people know about? This is one of those two things. Mm. And in that case, that's very likely a topic that you want to explore. Now, and I want to be really clear with this, Daniel, for your audience that's listening, I'm not asking you to shine a light on or uncover your deepest, darkest secrets. That's, that's not what I'm at. I'm not asking you to, to talk about the bank you robbed in 1977. If that's a thing that you need to keep hidden that's fine but there are definitely things in your life that you don't want people to know about you know for me right now the, my big struggle is as weird as this is my, the state of my house you know i because i'm one of those people who believes that a messy house is a messy mind and you need to have uh clean and my house is a disaster i got a six-year-old kid my wife and i are very busy professionals and my house is awful. It's atrocious. And I don't want people coming over and seeing it. Um, <laughs> what should I tell you? I have twins, seven years you old. You understand. So you, can, you, can, you, can, you can just dumb yeah, down. You know, it's, 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 <laughs> you know, and right now, that it, as weird as it is, that's, it's the thing that I don't want to talk about. But 
And, and it can be that simple because for people who need to have an outward appearance, maybe a messy house is the thing or, you know, not knowing where clients are coming from or having to pivot to virtual. Like for me, talking about some of the, the virtual pivots is rough because, um, again, film and television, I should have been better at it. And there was at, at the very beginning, you know, I had the setup that was good for me for auditions. And it took a little bit for me to realize, particularly around the sound. I needed to up my game and I'm a professional speaker. So now I can be critical. I can be critical of the people who haven't upped their game. You had 24 months to figure this stuff out. But at the beginning, I, I was just as guilty of it as anybody else. I was content with the webcam on the, uh, well, I wasn't content with the webcam on the laptop, but I was definitely content with poor audio and I, I wasn't putting my best foot forward when it came. I was okay with not even having a backdrop. I was, you know, a painted wall was fine. But again, the messy house came into mm. play, right? It was hard for me to find no. a professional surface in my house. So I actually had to dedicate a space for me to come back and be professional so that I could come on shows like yours and, and give a professional facade uh, and, and present myself in the way that is expected of it. And, uh, and so that is, you know, we all have those flaws and being honest and real about them is how to really uncover the true light that your audience needs to hear. Whew, they're like probably a million questions I would like to dive into, but uh, our time is not so ex uh, um, extensive. So um, as a huge part of our audience uh, comes from Europe, uh, especially from Germany, And uh, you probably know, like the German or the European mentality is not so, let's say, open and friendly and uh, extroverted that uh, probably the people are from, from the US or from Canada, they're, they're not so stiff. How, how, can, how can I um, tackle that as a business owner or as a speaker when, when I'm in front of an audience? Um, did I lose up a little bit on that, uh, but still... Um, keep that authenticity authenticity and um yeah still work on this uh, uh storytelling part and make just the, the content uh, that i would like to present and engaging and interesting for well the audience. two things first of all guten tag to the german listeners and um I would say that, remember, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. Who you are at your core is who you are at your core. And how I present is going to be entirely different to how you present. And it's entirely different to how Darren Hardy presents. It's entirely different to how Les Brown presents. It's entirely different to how Tony Robbins presents. Uh, and striving to be something that you're not is the fastest um, path to failure, to be frankly honest with you. The key is to being comfortable within so that you can be comfortable without. And again, it, it's that deep dive, that self-exploration. If, you know, if your presentation style is a little bit more reserved, um, uptight, some might say, why not? That's perfectly fine. That's who you are. But you can still find freedom within your stories. And that's one of the beautiful things about, about telling your own story. You are the definitive authority on your life. Nobody knows mm -hmm. you better than you. Your spouse may be a close second, but you've got it nailed in. Maybe your parent knows you better, you know, knows you well, but nobody knows you better than you. And so this is where the power of your story comes in, is exploring why you are who you are and the lessons that you've learned, and particularly as a business owner, because you got into business for a reason. What was that reason? Because that's mm. where your customers are going to identify with you and resonate with you. If you can tell that story in a powerful way, you'd be amazed at how quickly you draw customers to you because you got into business for a reason. Something drove you to want to do that. Otherwise, you would have been working. You'll just be a laborer for somebody else. But if you are running a business, even if it's a small business, I mean, my business for, you know, five of the last seven years was just me. It, it wasn't until very recently that I even had employees. 
you know, I had a really good um, system in place to allow me to do a lot on my own. And I did utilize, you know, um, some virtual help on occasion. But it wasn't until really the last 20 months even, it hasn't even been a full two years, where my business has has really skyrocketed to the point where I've I've needed employees myself. So even if you're a single, uh, you know, you're self-employed or you're a single employer, a single employee entity, and your business is just taking off, you still you're still running a business. You're you know, you may be self-employed and not a business owner yet, um, and there is a clear distinction between the two. But you you're in business at this point. Why? And being able to clearly articulate the why is where you're going to find, again, the thing you're afraid to say is what your audience needs to hear. If you come out and say, this is what is driving me to want to be in business, you'd be amazed at how quickly you draw people to you who resonate with that message. And that's the whole point is resonance. Yeah. What can I do when, when I'm in a public speaking engagement in a presentation in a meeting whatever and i feel like the attention or the engagement is dropping and i i feel the urge to counteract what 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 are possible some tips or technical steps well, that the I best could do? tip i could give is to not just to get your presentation to a point where you don't lose <laughs> your audience because it's always mm -hmm. better to keep them engaged than to have to re-engage them That said, I'm guilty of it too, right? Especially for me, because I love to talk and, and I, this is my forum. I've been in public speaking for, for decades and I could, I literally speak for days on it. And I know that because I have a five day workshop <laughs> on public speaking. So I know that I can, I, I can fill hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, one of the best things to do is if you feel your audience starting to drift, acknowledge it. Just say, hey, look, I'm sorry if I'm boring. <laughs> because you'd be surprised at how quickly they're going to laugh and be like oh yeah no i was i was starting to fall asleep there um but one of the other things and i use this this trick all the time in fact i overuse this this is my go-to whenever i i need to mentally reset or if i know if i recognize that my audience needs to mentally reset it's the turn to a friend and say something that you've learned so what do you do is you is the biggest mistake that people make in public speaking is thinking that if they've been asked to speak for 45 minutes that they need to speak for 45 minutes you don't mm -hmm. uh you need to provide no. value and information for 45 minutes but that doesn't have to come from your voice uh there's a study that um showed audience engagement if you have a dialogue with your audience if you ask them questions and have them speak audience engagement is around 92 if all you're doing is a monologue like i'm doing now audience engagement is 76 goes down as far as 76 and that's a, a massive massive difference and the simple solution to that is to not speak the whole time is to ask your audience well how do you feel about that what is what are your thoughts on that have you experienced something similar and have them share And if your presentation isn't structured in a way that allows for that, a quick thing that you can do and always can do, regardless of how your presentation is structured, is say, okay, I want you to turn to a friend or turn to a partner, somebody beside you right now. And in what was one of your biggest takeaways from this presentation in the last 10 minutes? What's the one thing that, that really stood out for you? And share that. And what that does is now your audience is going to turn and one person will say, I remember this. And then the other person will say, I remember this. They have to actively think back to what it is that you said. So that's going to re-engage them because now they have to think. And now it's from their point of view, which is always uh, going to have higher engagement because we are very self-centered species. Um, we care about ourselves first. And there's nothing wrong with that either. And so your audience is going to say, I remember this. And that will reinforce to the person that they're speaking to one of your points. And then that person will say, I remember this, which will reinforce to the other person one of your points. It may be the same point. It may be different. But the point is, is that you are reinforcing your message 
through their voice, which will re-engage them. What this also does is it gives you a moment to pause because now you're not having to talk and you're not the focus. They've stopped looking at you. They stopped, started looking at each other. That allows you to check your notes, see if you've gotten off topic or off track, allows you to grab a drink of water. Uh, one of the biggest um, non-technical aspects of speaking that I would always encourage people to do is always, always, always have water. Um, water is the nectar of life uh, and has uh, impacts a physiological change within the body that helps with memory, helps calm your body. Your body needs water to function. So always have water on stage. And it's very dehydrating uh, speaking because you're ex expelling a lot of air which contains moisture from within your body. And so you just always have water. So it allows you to, to take that break, to reset, to drink a little bit of water, allows your audience to then re-engage. And then if you really want to be a pro about it, ask one of the groups, so what, what was the takeaway? Share, if you don't mind, share with everybody. Um, I call it bubbling up, and there's a lot of different terms for it, but I like to bubble up within the audience. So they do their little bit of a share and then get one or two points. And that will really, 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 really reinforce your messaging. It also gives you a chance to check in with your audience to see what their takeaways were. Because it may be the takeaway that you wanted, in which case you can then reinforce mm. it. Or they may be taking away something that you didn't expect and you maybe want to build on it or correct it because they may have misunderstood you as well. So it's a really good chance for you to check in with your audience. And if I could give one tip, it's the turn to your partner and share and then do the bubble up. And that's an excellent way to re-engage your audience. Awesome. People have to read your book to find out about the five, the five P's that you mentioned in your book. So I'm gonna, I, I'm not gonna elaborate on that, but uh, if you, if you're interested, go into and buy the book from, from Tyler and, and, and find out about it. So if you would have followed the five P's uh, in, in preparation of, of your uh, speaking engagement, however that might uh, turn out, um, you're well prepared and everything is going to be fine. But um, I want to ask you, if you didn't follow that and there's a <laughs> fuck up, so how you handle the fuck ups on stage in uh, virtual real environments uh, when something goes really off rail or yeah, whatever. That's not, 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 well, not again, it's, it's the prep. And having the confidence within yourself that you just know, like I've, I've had so many things, right? Especially virtually now where I want to do a screen share and the screen share doesn't work. Well, Again, if I really am true to the power to speak naked, I recognize that I didn't need it. It was a nice to have. It's not a necessity. Things never go perfectly. And you just need to be able to be adaptable. And again, prepare, 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 prepare. When you're doing your preparation, the problem is, is most people prepare for public speaking wrong. They will spend... 70, 80, 90, 100% of their time trying to memorize a script. And that is a recipe for disaster. Memorizing a script does you no good because it gives you no room for error. You have to stick to that script or you're completely and totally, as you said, fucked. You can't go off at that point. And the problem with that is it's, as anybody... If your audience has ever driven somewhere using GPS guidance, right? And the GPS says, go on this street, but the street is under construction and you can't go down that street. That's the problem with memorizing a script is your job as a speaker is to take your audience. You're a taxi and you are simply trying to take your audience on a journey. You're trying to get them from point A to point B. You're not even a taxi. You're just a guide. You're just a guide. You have a thousand options for transporting your audience from point A to point B. The problem with memorizing a script is when you memorize a script, what you're basically doing is telling your audience, you, we are going to the airport. You are getting on flight 310 and we are flying from Calgary to Munich. Well, what if 310 is canceled? Now your audience can never get there. And that plane is your script where if you mm. know that you have points along the destination that you need to take them to, 
and you your preparation is knowing your stories, knowing your material, knowing what the journey needs to look like. Then you can hear your GPS say, recalculating, recalculating, and it's okay. Because all it means is that you hit a roadblock, and that's all it is. It's just a roadblock. You can't go down this particular road. You can't use this particular slide. You can't do your screen share. Your audio is not working good. I was doing a live presentation. I run a group, uh, a free Facebook group for anybody who's interested called uh, Endless Stages. And I do a live presentation every Tuesday. And uh, just before Christmas, I had rented a theater because I wanted to show the people who follow me how easy it is, even in today's climate, to be able to put on a live performance. And so I I'd rented a theater and I was going to do a, a Facebook live broadcast from inside the theater. And I was going to use my cell phone to do it. And I have this really, really cool gimbal that is always near me. And it allow, it's a little steady cam thing and allows me to do one of these and I can hold it off. And I'm able to present quite nicely and, and visually well uh, a nice little Facebook Live. Well, my microphone didn't connect with my phone. That day, there was something crackly and crinkly, and I couldn't get any audio to use the phone. So what do I do? I improvise because the technology, it doesn't matter the technology that I'm using to take my my passengers on this journey with. In this case, this was my plane. My plane did not want to take off. So I said, all right, everybody, let's hop in this bus. (laughs) And that bus happened to be my laptop. And I did the thing that I don't like doing. Because my laptop was not ready, it was not set up, it doesn't have the nice camera, but it was what I had available to me. And so I literally walked around the theater with my camera crew following me, and I was talking to people in the little laptop camera, and that was how I did that presentation. (laughs) Because how I told it didn't matter. What really mattered was that I was giving them the value, and they understood it. I needed to give the presentation, and so the, the vehicle in which I took didn't matter. And that's really what you need to prepare. You need to know your material, not your script. You need to know what the end destination is. And if you need to cut out little bits in the middle, like as part of mine, you know, maybe you wanted to detour to Stonehenge on the way to Munich for Oktoberfest. But now we can't get to Stonehenge because we can't even land in Britain. So we're going to have to just now it's just a straight destination to Oktoberfest and we're going to enjoy some good beer and we're going to call it a day. And that's okay too, because they don't, they don't know the itinerary ahead of time. That's the other thing. Your audience doesn't know what you're going to say. Even if they've seen you, like anybody, I've been on 170 podcasts last year. A lot of what I talk about is the same. This conversation though is unique. What you and I are talking about on the virtual frontier is going to be different than what I've talked about on anyone. There's going to be overlap. But how we got from point A to point B is going to be entirely unique, and that is okay. Great advice. Great advice. I'm really thankful for that. Last question for today. Um, And and just just, uh, uh, scratch it a little bit with your own experience and and story on the the theater. Um, how, How can I take this whole experience that we had before with real stages, with real audience in, in front of us and um, people behind the screens are um, normally like not so active, not so engaged. Um, how, how can I spark the fire there like to engage people in, in the virtual space so they are whatever meeting that is, whatever Zoom, Teams, uh, Skype <laughs> probably, um, they're not just sitting in front of the in front of the screen not now they're like really engaged and and they're real they will remember this meeting or this uh event or well, whatever I was first thing virtual means digital right so i i think one of the things that people have forgotten is one of the reasons we put on vr goggles was to walk around and a different reality that was virtual right it was it was a digital mm. world but we still got to explore within it 
And I think people got really comfortable because they were first thrust into this virtual visual medium with the with the virtual meetings um, as a, well, we'll set it up at our desk and call it a day. And I think, you know, one of the oh, a great, great friend of mine, an incredible uh, business consultant, Jason Krauss, um, he has a, an amazing business consulting group. One of the things he does with, with all of his clients, he bought them Oculus glasses and sent them mm. all to his clients. And it was a big expense for him. But then he created a virtual boardroom with presentation. And then he like he walks around his his virtual space and and invites people into participating in it. And I think we've forgotten that and that it's so easy to get tied into. I'm guilty of it even in this in this episode that we're recording where we just start delivering message and material and content. And we forget that there are people on the other side that are listening to this. And one of the things that I've done, one of the reasons I have my space is I, I can walk around my space. Like I stand to present. You get to construct your virtual world however you want it to be. So don't lock yourself to the confines of the reality that you are in. Right now, this will be fun because you actually have a visual um, uh, show. So for those of you who can watch this episode as opposed to listen to it, I would strongly encourage you to go watch this episode right now. So I'm going to do a little thing. I'm going to I'm going to tilt my camera and what you're about to see Let's is see that I am located in a basement. And I have my exercise machine just over here right there like and right my messy house. This is your messy house that you didn't want to show, show. <laughs> because this this is my messy house. That's my daughter's little, you know, art craft area that can be wheeled into my studio when it's done. My laundry machines are way over there. Look, there you are, Daniel. You're on the TV so that I can speak to you. And that actually speaks to why I like my setup the way that I have. Because so many people have a camera here and the screen here, and they're talking to people down here. Well, that's not how we talk to people. We talk to people in a lens. We, talk, we look them in the eye. Exactly. Well, it's really difficult for me to just stare and talk into the camera. I want to see you. I want to interact with you, Daniel. I want to know how you work. So I have set up a 52-inch television behind my ring light, which holds my camera. My laptop is below. So now I can look you in the eye. And when I'm looking you in the eye, I'm still looking through the lens of the camera so that I can interact with you and not worry about the camera that's being there. But visually, to an audience, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. And that was one of the first things that I did was I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be confined to a desk. I'm going to create my space so that I can talk the way that I would normally talk. Because if I was to get up on stage, I'm going to stand, I'm going to walk around, I'm going to be animated. I need to be able to move my arms. So I needed a mic setup that allowed me to be able to be animative and expressive. And I needed to look good. So I set up the, the lights. When you're creating a virtual platform, remember that it is virtual, yes, but that you need to create an environment that is conducive to learning. And so finding those platforms that do it. If Zoom isn't doing it for you, find a different platform. And that's where Jason sending out his Oculus glasses to everybody was so helpful for him because it allowed him to then do the presentations the way that he wanted to and yet still have people uh, come in remotely and and it's exploring yeah. that technology and if you you know oculus obviously is an expensive thing if you have to send it to every client so if you don't have that kind of budget you can still make zoom meetings interesting ask the people to to speak in it you don't have to speak the whole time it, share those platforms stand up free yourself from the desk move around your space i'll encourage other people to move around your space tell them to get up every once in a while sitting is boring and it's bad for your health so all of these things. I could go on for days, Daniel. That that should be good from right there. I think so. Taylor, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it was really awesome to talk to you. Very much uh, uh, practical insights and, and that's what uh, we want to provide for our audience and listeners um, so they can take away and uh, improve themselves in, in speaking and uh, their personal and professional lives. And I think we 
accomplish yeah. that Danke. today. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much again for your time. Yeah, take care. Bye bye. Back we are from an exciting trip into Tyler's world of speaking and engagement. Have you taken some notes and tried the exercise presented by Tyler? If not, now it's a great moment to do so. If you are interested in becoming a public speaker, grab a copy of Tyler's book. Find the link in the show notes below. We hope you found the session helpful and you have now some new tools and insights on how to create better workplaces for the future. What have you missed in this episode? How can we do better? You know the best. Let us know in the comments and reviews. And as always, before you leave, hit the subscribe button, give a thumb up and share this session around with your friends and colleagues. Your action helps us to grow the show and keep you informed and updated on trending topics about the future of work. On behalf of the team here at the Virtual Frontier, I want to thank you for listening. So, until the next episode, keep exploring new frontiers. Thank you.